Hi, my name is Allison Burrell. Welcome to the Radiation Research Society vodcast here in Weston, Florida at the Bonaventure Resort. I'm here with Rao Papanini, and he's from KUMC. Yes. Yes, uh, welcome. I'm an adjunct at uh, KUMC. Thank you very much. Thanks, uh, podcast, for the interview uh, on, uh, at the RRS 2015. Yes, thank you for coming. So you have multiple presentations here at the conference. Um, one of them is a multiple angle dosage molecular image guided radiation therapy. And I'm really curious about this, if you could explain it for yeah. the viewers. Uh, it's a MAD, M-I-G-R-T in short. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a funny acronym, nice for, acronym. <laughs> uh, for the poster. But it's, uh, it's a molecular image guided radiation therapy for preclinical research, which uh, in, in fact, uh, emulates whatever is happening clinically uh, in, in a more uh, 2D radiator setup uh, where we can actually have a visualization uh, during, post, and pre-radiation therapy in 36 different angles so that you can actually pinpoint where your tissue of interest is and then dose or give radiation dosage to that particular site. And you can utilize uh, molecular imaging modality uh, directly into the radiation therapy, what you call it as diagnostics, which is a portmanteau. Mm -hmm. Is this using some sort of marker? Well, it has uh, opportunity to use both endogenous markers, mm -hmm. uh, nanoprobes, molecular probes, which could be a, uh, a luminescent, chemiluminescent, or fluorescence, near infrared fluorescence. So the opportunities are plenty. So the interest uh, of developing this particular uh, tool, molecular tool, is to advance radiation therapy uh, uh, for uh, both for mechanistic studies as well as for developing radiation pharma. Is there anything else you want to talk about on that topic? Uh, that particular presentation, this uh, uh, in, uh, in this RRS 2015, mm -hmm. uh, is. Uh, technology development for I'm a senior consultant at Precision X-ray. We designed it, and this is a prototype, okay. by the way. Uh, the idea is to utilize this, to have this diagnostic approach of visualizing, simultaneously dose it at any mm -hmm. angle you want, particularly for uh, if you're doing a high-throughput partial body irradiation. So as a proof of principle, what, what I've done here is I've used X-ray X-ray excitable luminescent nanoparticles, uh, which can actually provide a targeted region by by kind of like eliciting low energy X-ray. You can visualize that particular targeted region using those phosphor-doped nanoparticles. Okay, and it produces some light, and you have this CCD camera which now visualizes this uh, nanoparticles. And once you locate it, then you can use your collimation and then use the high dose to do the radiation therapy. And do these markers, does it help you adjust for slight movements that the patient makes during treatment? Similar example, like patient in the subject, like in the small animal like mouse or rat. Even or, if they're just breathing, they move and maybe the tumor is moving? That's a very good question because some of these probes, if you're going to use it in the lung region, especially the upper The thoracic area. Thoracic right. area. 
uh, you might have a little movement uh, disorder. But remember, this particular uh, visualization is in the 2D setup. Okay. Of course, we also have similar thing in a 3D tomography approach where you have a CT plus luminescent or uh, chemiluminescent or bioluminescent cameras. So there you have a different IGRT, which is a molecular image guided radiation therapy. In this particular presentation, I'm showing it in a, a cabinet kind of irradiator. So, uh, you know, labs like ours where we, we do like 200 mice or 300 mice, mm -hmm. we probably can work on a high throughput setup. Uh, this is very useful in that scenario. So this has only been done on animals thus far? Yes, as a proof of concept I've shown, we, we've taken uh, doped nanoparticles, <laughs> injected into the paw of a mouse, and then uh, during time-lapse imaging, with very low X-ray uh, eliciting the, uh, the luminescence from the nanoparticles, right. the X-ray luminescence ends up into the sentinel lymph node. So that's a proof of concept I've shown. And the other one, what I've done is uh, we have used uh, abscopal studies for a focal irradiation of a mouse to show the bone changes during the course of early changes in radiation injury. So the amount of x-rays that you use to excite these um, markers this, these probes, nanoparticles, the nanoparticles. Is, uh, it's negligent. Uh, you know, it's a, it's almost as small as hundred rad. Uh, I think it should, uh, when you're working on molecular image guidedness, mm -hmm. I think it's very small amount of dose to uh, elicit it. Okay. But if you're not, if, if you are concerned about that particular radiation, we can actually use uh, luminescent nanoparticles or fluorescent nanoparticles to target to that site and then visualize it. Right, because I, I think I'm, I'm thinking further down the line when once you start testing this in patients that the patients or even the oh. clinicians might worry that this is an added exposure to someone oh, who's already being bombarded with uh, potential radiation. for this particular nanoparticles because uh, what, what, what down the road, mm -hmm. these X-ray excitable nanoparticles it's kind of like Cherenkov radiation, or you can get what I coined earlier as radio bioluminescence. Right. We can actually use it to target specific site and image it, and we can actually deliver a PDT kind of setup, the photodynamic therapy kind of setup, in deep tissue using these, these approaches. And how do you deliver the nanoparticles? So the, these nanoparticles can be, can be tagged with some either... Uh, interactant. It could be an affibody or antibody or mm -hmm. or any other uh, small molecule uh, which has affinity or avidity for that particular region. And so then you can have these nanoparticles uh, injected directly into the tumor or systemic. Mm -hmm. And once you target it, you want to make sure uh, that it is in the right region. So the presence of its whatever reporting system, mm -hmm. you can actually visualize it. In clinics, it's going to be, if it is MR or uh, it could be PET-SPECT, the modalities, the, the molecular imaging modalities are going to direct further down with precision. On top of it, uh, I don't know uh, if I can uh, mention a little bit about radio bioluminescence. 
uh, what I showed earlier, again in RRS last year, was there's a new type of emission coming out, there is optical emission coming out of the body upon irradiation. This is very unique and this is different from Cherenkov. Uh, Cherenkov radiation is uh, spontaneous, uh, it gets shut off once, you, once the external beam of x-rays uh, stop. Radio bioluminescence is endogenous light emitting from the body when you have external beam hits uh, the subject. Okay. And this can be used for biodosimetry and it's, it has a potential for photodynamic therapy, especially x-ray induced radio bioluminescence, comma, no, as well as the uh, photodynamic therapy. How far off do you see this, um, this research being transitioned into clinical trials? Clinical trial. Is it still a ways off? I mean, this is proof of concept uh, research you're doing with the animals, but... Uh, the, this kind of approach has been uh, seriously looked at. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cherenkov imaging or not radio bioluminescence is just okay. picking up. Cherenkov plus PDT has a potential, but uh, stringent studies have to be I mean, uh, utilized yeah. further. You know, it just see sounds ex- it sounds exciting, so I'm sure. Yeah, it is uh, the next generation type of stuff. Uh, proper, you know, uh, studies should be planned ahead uh, so that we don't see any other toxicity, etc. Right. Um, well, and I wanted to to also mention um, that you were a guest on our podcast, the Radiation Research Podcast, back in True. April of 2012. Yeah. And I'm curious how how much your research has changed since then. Uh, it was an interesting uh, podcast uh-huh. because uh, at the time I was in molecular imaging uh, per se, and a very uh, small amount of my uh, lab was working on uh, radiation research. Uh, then uh, as I'm moving towards more of uh, technology development as well as uh, uh, trying to find new pharmaceutical agents in radio protection, etc. I think I'm, I'm moving, uh, integrating more of the molecular imaging and nanotherapeutics. And that particular podcast was indeed uh, based on one of our review on uh, utilization of nanotechnology and uh, molecular imaging in radiation therapy. Uh, and the field has really uh, tremendously grown mm-hmm. in the past uh, uh, two, three years especially after that uh, review article uh, we have come across and more in Astro as well as in RRS. Nice. And you mentioned the, the other presentation that you're giving here at Radiation Research Society. It's a pretty novel yeah, a novel uh, discovery. Would you like to uh, discuss that? This uh, particular presentation is in collaboration between my lab and uh, Shahid Uma's lab in KUMC. Mm-hmm. Where I'm an adjunct uh, position, have an adjunct position, and uh, this started up uh, with an interesting observation that we saw the radiation injury-related gastrointestinal changes is very similar to what happens when there is an infection by Citrobacter uh, bacterial mm-hmm. infection. So, so we started moving ahead and see what what exactly is happening. And uh, during the course of the time, I've uh, uh, tried to see whether there's a link between a, a psychoneuro, 
uh, immunogastrointestinal changes. Wow. <laughs> there's a gut-brain axis in okay, simple yeah. terms. Uh, exists and uh, we see that there's a there's a clear cut uh, interaction between the gut and uh, GI and the brain, and particularly when there is a different stress involved, uh, it actually produces independent uh, radiation injuries, uh, depending on what the stress is. Like for example, if the mice is exposed to a particular type of stress, uh, it, the radiation-related injuries is quite different from the second stress when the mice is exposed to a different form of stress. How close are these stresses introduced? So you're making the mouse anxious, and then how long after that are you irradiating them? In one case, the mouse is immobilized. Okay. For me, uh, it is kind of like acclimatized to the environment. Mm -hmm. And in a second setup, you have the mice within that region of, uh, you know, radiation, it is free. Uh, because it is free, probably the, the angle of, you know, high-throughput setup might have a, a different injury to it. Uh, in addition to that, uh, there might be certain endogenous factors which might influence uh, what happens to this, especially the intestinal stem cell dynamics and the crypt cells and then the... And you see, uh, very early stages in the mucin changes. Mm -hmm. And all these things actually are probably the critical factors because we see the ROS reactive oxygen species generated within minutes after irradiation. And especially this MAD MIGRT is going to be a very good setup to visualize the changes in ROS, especially we have probes like very ultra-sensitive luminol type of probe, which can detect a singlet oxygen generated during irradiation. And we have shown that uh, by chemiluminescence approach, these reactive oxygen species, especially in the GI region, are very critical. And these actually indeed allow a specific set of microbiome to be released internally as well as externally. So uh, especially Clostridium, sorry, uh, I think a Clostridium cluster, which is involved in butyrate-producing uh, uh, bacteria is kind of like a biomarker in the early GI injury. So it's interesting, you were saying, so the MAD, M-I-G-R-T, it, it's not just something you're developing as just treatment, but it sounds like it can no. be used as a research tool as well. Absolutely. So, so my lab uh, interest is coming from molecular biophysics. <coughs> uh, it's a necessity-based uh, introduction of novel technologies, mm -hmm. uh, both hardware uh, as well as chemical hardware like nano uh, carriers, etc., to facilitate uh, the molecular studies in advancing radiobiology and radio medicine, radiation medicine. These nanoparticles, I call it as a nano radio guidance because it's going to guide, uh, but the nanomaterial is going to guide uh, where we're going to uh, image and where we're going to treat. So tools are specifically made for that particular uh, problem. Uh, in the case of, again, uh, uh, this GI injury, yes, uh, we have developed uh, uh, novel probes again to see how, uh, me, uh, in collaboration with uh, Baylor College of Medicine, my kind of like my alma mater, mm -hmm. we have uh, genetic reporters which can actually detect changes in singlet oxygen in different compartments of the cell. 
And my actually interest in radiation biology started way back, but without my knowledge, because uh, in 2005, we did a global screening with SIR in the library. And uh, one of the panel was to study radio uh, suppressor, I mean, tumor suppressor and radio sensitization. So we have novel candidates available, and I'm ready to collaborate with different labs to pursue on this angle. Well, it's, it sounds very exciting. And um, I, was, I just have one more question. Um, so this, this, what were you calling it, neuropsychological... Neuropsychological, you know, response, brain, gut, yeah, nexus. So you're, you know, at the moment just still looking in in animals in vivo. But do you think translating that to um, treatment of patients is this something where if a patient's really nervous, maybe that 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 the environment like we say, that they're treating. can of butterflies, you know, when we, right. when we say that butterflies, we have the GI cyst syndrome. So you think that that could potentially be um, a negative, negatively affecting their treatment, having that mindset? <laughs> More like, uh, like, for example, there's a nuclear terrorism scenario. You know, you have, okay. uh, or a simple accident where the person, I mean, the people, I mean, the workers don't know what accident is. They're quite a different... Uh, Exposure. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel. So, in future, to create uh, novel uh, radiation pharma, I think we we have to adhere to all these changes ahead of time. So, uh, it's not like if we want reproducibility in results, we might have to have stick to a norm where we have the similar biodosimetry and similar way of utilizing the uh, animal treatment. You know, we can't like toss it around and image it or right. uh, irradiate it. You know. So they will probably these results might lead us to have a uh, particular set of rules in how we irradiate the animals or you know to or, or undertake the, the research in the future. Okay, so one more question, um, or not one more question, but a good question to ask is what is bioluminescence, and or, or sorry, not bioluminescence, radio but bio. radio bioluminescence. Well, uh, radio bioluminescence is a uh, terminology coined uh, to show the endogenous light coming out of a body okay. upon irradiation, especially external beam irradiation, or probably even an internal brachytherapy kind of scenario. It's quite unique. It's different from Cherenkov, especially for the fact that when you have Cherenkov irradiation, external beam elicits a light coming out of the body and you can catch it with a like sensitive CCD camera but it kind of like uh, shuts off once you cut the beam, external beam irradiation. Radio bioluminescence, uh, we, we see that the endogenous light uh, emanates out of the body even after the x-ray beam is shut. Uh, in some cases I've seen some components providing uh, light even up to 60 minutes uh, post irradiation. So that's a terrific amount of light because that can be utilized for uh, biodosimetry. And uh, a while ago I mentioned you can actually have this light because it's a deep tissue light. You can use that for endogenous photodynamic therapy. And this is after exciting the yeah, exactly. nanoparticles that you've... Oh, no, you don't. No, you this, don't. Is... this is endogenous oh, metabolites. This is just... yeah, oh, this is okay. probless, probless oh, wonder. Right. I have a feeling that when we walk through... Uh, 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 airport uh, scanner, mm-hmm. uh, we might 
show some aura if you have very sensitive cameras. Yes. Yeah, so... Interesting. Uh, yep. Uh, so it doesn't take much um, x-ray energy to to excite these Well, I mean, this is a very, very early stage. We haven't uh, characterized it well. The uh, it's a visible that. light, uh, high energy. We have seen it with 320 kV. Uh, we have to see how much uh, energies, what energy, what energy level is required to get the basal <coughs> amount of light, especially with our kind of setup, mm -hmm. and uh, how this can be uh, used both not only for uh, biodiversity internally, but also see what an uh, external beam uh, is giving, because even that scintillates the air to produce light. Mm. Uh, one of my collaborators in Stanford actually shown that um, uh, later, um, along with, uh, we can see that uh, with the CCD camera, you can actually visualize X-ray beam hitting the body, you know, skin or whatever, uh, because it scintillates the nitrogen on the, in the air, so pro producing the light. So now we can use a camera uh, to visualize how much energy is going in, as well as uh, what is inside. If you properly uh, uh, accrue everything and systematically measure, could be a perfect biodosimetry probeless wonder. Oh, that's really interesting and exciting, and I look forward to hearing uh, where this research goes in the future. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Rao, for joining us. Uh, thank for you, the, Alison, for the and thanks uh, and for podcast for uh, uh, this opportunity to. Uh, discuss my research, uh, especially from my lab as well as from KUMC lab. Great. Thank you very much.